This program is brought to you by Haymarket Books as part of the Socialism 2022 program. You can hear more recorded sessions from the conference by subscribing to the Socialism Conference podcast feed. Many video recordings are also available at socialismconference.org. If you enjoy these recordings, keep an eye on socialismconference.org for updates about the next Socialism Conference and how you can participate. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. If you really want to help us out, rate and review the podcast on Apple or whatever platform you're listening on. So, hello everyone. Thanks for um, allowing me to be remotely to this um, for this panel. Um, I am sorely missing uh, being there in person. I've been going to conferences and conference for years, um, but I am just unable to um, be there in person for various reasons. Um, so to jump into it, um, uh, human global society today is in an increasingly precarious, injurious, and repressive state. Economic inequality, social stratification, health disparity, climatic injustice, police and government violence, and both hot and cold conflicts and wars between rival nation states. For disabled people in the U.S., the basic conditions of existence have stagnated or worsened over the past several decades. Disabled people in the U.S., they experience a poverty rate of approximately 30%, comprise 40% of the total homeless population, have an active labor market participation rate of less than 20%, despite self-reporting a preference to do so at a rate well over 60%. Hundreds of thousands of disabled people remain today living in institutional or carceral environments, such as nursing homes or prisons, where conditions tend toward the cruel or barbaric. Um, and after having gone through uh, two plus years of a viral pandemic, of course, we saw the way that COVID fatality rates were at their disproportionate highest, precisely um, within these uh, arenas, within prisons and and nursing home systems. Um, Meanwhile, millionaire owners of private for-profit nursing homes have been immunized from prosecution um, for harm done, and a mere handful of billionaires have come out like bandits. Um, So I think we can say that uh, two things, um, two important things about disability um, follow from this. First, when we ask the question of what is disability, um, we're not really providing a, a full answer if, if we only talk about physiology, biology, uh, or even identity reduced to a cataloging of manifest limitations or functional deficits. In fact, disability, or to put it perhaps more accurately, disablement, is a dialectical phenomenon arising from the political, economic, and social relations of painting within society. 
Second, the question of disability is moreover really a question of disability oppression. And for no other reason, this is borne out simply by the fact that a person with a given inherent impairment or um, morphological, psychological variation will find themselves either more or less marginalized or accommodated to varying degrees according to the type of society in which they live. That is, disability is inextricably embedded in and intelligible through the broader socioeconomic context. Uh, coming from radical, socialist, and Marxist traditions, a number of disability scholars and activists have argued that the modern phenomenon of disability historically emerged from and alongside the advent of capitalist market, labor, and commodity relations. While variations in human bodies, minds, and behaviors, up to and including those traits which might be termed impairments, have always been an indelible and essential aspect of the human species, Disability, as we have come to understand it in the modern era, is neither eternal nor trans-historical. The notion that a group of people with a vast array of completely different traits, capacities, morphologies, and phenotypes could be lumped together and labeled according to their relative lack of generalized ability in the abstract is in fact something endemic to the particular period of more recent human history signaled by the emergence and dominance of the capitalist mode. Uh, this process was predicated upon a series of radical changes in the form and function of human society. Um, to just go through briefly, this could be a little longer thing, but the generally socialized character of economic production and distribution, which had prevailed throughout most of human history, uh, had to be disrupted and sundered. Um, indigenous networks, tribal villages, and pre-class society, as well as the communal peasant lands and agrarian harvests, of feudal and tributary society were by degrees atomized, usurped, capitalized, and ultimately revolutionized or abolished. This trend led to the vast dispossession and alienation of masses of people from land and resources. The broad mass of the populace divorced from the means of producing a subsistence according to the conditions prevailing hitherto, now found themselves compelled to earn a living by selling their individual capacity to perform labor in an increasingly mechanized arduous and exploitative mode of production. The emergence of the mass commodities market and the emergence of the so-called labor market go hand in hand. And the reduction of essential human value to the relative worth or price that their labor power can fetch on the market. Um, as the late disability scholar and activist Mark Russell writes, quote, industrial capitalism created both a class of proletarians and a class of disabled who did not conform to the standard worker body and whose labor power was effectively ignored. A market-driven society meant that disabled persons perceived to be of less use to the competitive profit cycle were excluded from work. As a result, disabled persons came to be regarded as a social problem and the justification emerged for segregating individuals with impairments from mainstream life and into a variety of institutions, including workhouses, asylums, prisons, colonies, and special schools. Uh, Russell's insight here aptly captures what is in effect the dual character of disability as both an economic and a social phenomenon. On the one hand, disability is a primary autonomic function of the operation of the capitalist system of production, exchange, and accumulation of wealth. In other words, 
the process whereby workers with various impairments are rendered less value, less valuable or of no value at all to the economy is within the context of capitalist imperatives an intrinsic phenomenon. On the other hand, disability also takes on a social character, character or function within present society, which is expressed at the cultural, interpersonal, and political level. Um, to clarify this distinction a little more, the first form of disability is manifest in the relative disadvantage experienced by disabled people within the capitalist marketplace, both as would-be producers and consumers. There is no political law or statute at play other than the crass calculation of profitability that compels an employer, an insurer, or a school to reject or otherwise begrudge the presence of a disabled person. The second form of disablement is that which is codified, ideated, and promulgated at the level of reflective consciousness. Systems of eugenics, stigmatization, scapegoating, and bigotry, with which the U.S. has historically been rife, represent the social um, manifestation of the elemental economic devaluation or inferiorization imposed by capitalism upon disabled people. Um, so what then do socialists or Marxists have to say about the struggle against disability oppression? Or what should socialists say about it? Uh, what are the questions that socialists should be asking about disability? To begin with, uh, we should obviously support and advocate for all reforms or partial measures that can in any way break down the systematic marginalization, impoverishment, and oppression of disabled people. And these include things like uh, you know, accessible infrastructures, expansion of uh, social security, uh, disability payments and income supports, disability accommodations and leave policies at workplaces and schools, increased mandates for the employment and enrollment of disabled people, expansive social welfare programs in the delivery of health care, housing, nutrition, personal assistance, and family needs. Uh, demands around police and prison are also imminently relevant here. Disabled people comprise a disproportionate number of those injured or murdered by police, uh, up to 50%, according to some studies. Uh, disabled people also comprise a disproportionate number of those incarcerated, with uh, women with psychological impairments representing one of the fastest growing demographics of the U.S. prison population today. Beyond education and activism around these issues, however, uh, I think it is also critical for socialists to recognize and clarify the fact that disability oppression is ultimately a question of property and labor relations. That is, disablement is at base a product, not of the structures of society, physical or social, or the structures of capitalism, but rather the prevailing mode of society itself, of capitalism itself. Um, this is why the struggle against disability oppression should be seen as innately allied with all other struggles born of capitalist oppression. Specifically, disablement is a form of oppression arising from the system of exploitation of labor, and therefore the historical struggle of the working class against exploitation in the class system is also implicitly a potential site of struggle for the emancipation of disabled people. Again, to quote Martha Russell, Capitalism is a system that forces non-disabled persons into the labor market, but just as forcefully forces many disabled persons out, oppression occurs in either case." End quote. Now, um, 
the framing of this dialectic by Martha Russell um, has come to raise some interesting and important questions, both for me and I think, um, you know, ones that I think we would do well um, to consider as socialists. Um, it's beyond the scope of, you know, the time I have for this talk to do it justice, but in brief, there was a question about how to understand the social position of disabled people in class terms. Specifically, uh, what is the relationship between disabled people and the working class as such? Um, amongst, you know, broadly looking at black literature, some argue that disability uh, appertains to those who have been pushed out of the active labor force um, and are therefore sort of underclass or even lumpen proletarian. Others have described disabled people as occupying a sort of liminal space within the class relations. Um, this view tends uh, this view tends to displace uh, to place disabled people among the so-called reserve army of labor or the surplus population, in which disabled people are defined primarily by their precarity, intermittency, and unstable integration into the labor market. Um, on the other hand, there are those socialists and activists who tend to be more exclusively focused on the labor movement as such and for whom disability only figures into their politics insofar as it arises as an issue pertaining directly to workers employed in the active productive economy. Um, so to, to, uh, to wrap up some at time, basically, I'll just say that my view is that we should hold uh, both an expansive conception of disability, which understands it both in terms of class location but also more generally as a phenomenon less immediately relevant to the positions of the classes than to the processes intrinsic to the relations of the classes. Um, in other words, um, disability is a function of the processes of labor commodification, exploitation, market competition, and class division. Um, let's see, I, I will just, uh, last thing I'll say here, then sort of want to take up more time than uh, um, you know, ultimately, however, I think we can plainly say that capitalism is a system that is at base um, oppressive to both disabled people and uh, non-disabled people, um, specifically non-disabled working class people. Um, the capitalist economy organizes production and the labor process around the maximization of profit rather than human well-being and happiness. It is an economy in which the human laborer is expected to adapt themselves to the conditions of labor as defined by the boss of the market, rather than the conditions of labor being adapted to the needs of the human laborers. Um, it is a system in which our value, everyone's value, is determined by the price one can fetch on the labor market. Um, finally, it is a system which commodifies and reproduces an artificial human sameness an abstract, alienated, and average human laborer, productive human, that sets the standard against which, against which we are all to be measured. In sum, our vision as socialists should be a society organized around an exactly inverse set of relations and therefore principles. To paraphrase Karl Marx, it is a society animated by the imperative from each according to their ability to each according to their need. Thank you. Thank you, Keith. Uh, Dana will be next. And we will have you still on the Zoom, so you will be projected. So whatever you're doing, just adds up.
<laughs> we can see you. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to stand um, just to be more accessible to I think my video is muted, so Keith doesn't have to stare at me while I'm standing here. Um, I just want to say I'm inspired by Keith's work and by the uh, work of Marta Russell about whom he has written and spoken. I may say a few things that resonate with what Keith said. Um, I'll begin with a note on language um, to say that while scholars and activists today argue for person-first language, in other words, to talk about a person with a disability, it is important from a historical materialist perspective to recognize how the identity category disabled person is a social construct of class society and some socialists prefer that grammar as distinct from the discussion of impairments which are only constructed as disabilities in particular historical and economic contexts, namely class society and capitalism in particular. So that said, I'll, I'll carry on. So. In March 1990, the Americans with Disabilities Act, or the ADA, was stalled in Congress. But on the eve of the vote, activists engaged in momentous direct action. In addition to marches and rallies at the Capitol, activists in ADAPT, long experienced in militancy, led what would become one of the most compelling protests in the history of the movement. Activist Michael Auberger, in an interview with historian Fred Pelka, recounted these events. It didn't feel like adapt to just march and not do any sort of direct action. So after the speeches, those who wanted to participated in the crawl up, which was people getting out of their wheelchairs and crawling up the steps of the Capitol. It was definitely theater, but it was also a statement. As far as you've gone, you're not there yet. Probably 100 people did the actual crawl up. Everybody who started made it up, we made sure of that. I was surprised at all of the emotion that came out of it and everybody at the bottom who watched, they couldn't believe what they saw. And I don't think that any of the people that actually crawled up thought it would be that way. Somewhere in there, with all the energy that was expended, it put everybody right there on the edge of and in touch with their anger and touch with a lot of history about access. All the years of oppression seemed to come out right then and there. Tears, people were crying. Then the next day we did the demonstration in the rotunda, chanting, ADA now, and vote now, vote now. Ultimately, 106 activists, having chained their wheelchairs together with kryptonite blocks and occupying the Capitol, were arrested in a process that took six hours, ironically because the elevators were so inaccessible. <laughs> And activists in ADAPT and other organizations who were used to um, uh, direct action with regard to buses and public transportation. So the police had hired the Metro buses, which were the only accessible buses in uh, Washington, D.C., to come and arrest them. But the um, activists blockaded uh, the buses, stood in the way of the buses, so they couldn't transport anybody either. So the courthouse was jammed and the jail was too, and they were released on their own recognizance. And so the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed on July 12th. Along with Section 504 of the 1973 Rehabilitation Act, the ADA, although limited in its protections, has been the foundation of successful disability rights legislation, litigation, and reforms to this day. Time does not permit me to review the amazing history of this movement, its militant occupations and protests, its organizations and its activists, 
who overlapped, were inspired by, and often operated in solidarity with the civil rights, black power, feminist, and queer social movements. In the Bay Area, and particularly at the University of California at Berkeley, then at cities in cities across the country, deaf people, blind people, neurodivergent people, people with mobili mobility and neurological differences, and people diagnosed with mental illness demanded access to jobs, public spaces, adaptive communication technologies, education, transportation, healthcare, architectural access, and the freedom and resources to choose where and how to live. I recommend Fred Pelka's oral history, What We Have Done, and the 2020 New York Times article, Nothing About Us Without Us, from 2020, um, to, if you want to know more about the stages or the steps in that movement and hear, uh, uh, hear from the people who uh, were part of it. So the reforms won over the course of this diverse movement resulted from the continual pressure on the part of activists in the courts, schools, hospitals, and homes, and in the streets. Judy Human and Adapt being among the most radical of these, Judy Human's book is available in Haymarket Books, as is Keith's uh, book about Martha Russell, so I recommend that you look those up. Judy Human and Adapt um, were part of the struggle for hard-run rights legislation, but such legislation can only go so far because of the oppression, but because the oppression of people with disabilities is closely tied to the imperatives of capitalist society, whose definitions of appropriately productive bodies generate ongoing exclusion, stigmatization, and violence. For-profit healthcare, insurance, and the pharmaceutical industry deprive disabled people who are disproportionately poor and unemployed of vitally necessary resources. Religious beliefs, eugenics, moralism, assimilationism, and the medical model have framed disability awareness and policy over the course of capitalism's history in ways that justify ongoing oppression. For these reasons, a key tenet of contemporary disability justice theory, as arti articulated by the activist collective Sins Invalid, is anti-capitalism. The principles of disability justice articulated by this collective include the following words. We are anti-capitalist, as the very nature of our mind-slash-bodies often resists conforming to a capitalist normative level of production. We don't believe that human worth is dependent on what and how much a person can produce. We critique a concept of labor as defined by able-bodied supremacy, white supremacy, and gender normativity. We understand capitalism to be a system that promotes private wealth accumulation for some at the expense of others. Keith's anthology of the writings of socialist and disability activist Marta Russell, um, along with Roddy Slurich's book, A Very Capitalist Condition, which I also recommend, explains the connections between the oppression of disabled people and the capitalist system. Russell, a civil rights activist with cerebral palsy and a worker in the film industry, was involved with disability activist organizations like ADAPT and Not Dead Yet, a group contesting the practice of um, cost and stigma-driven physician-assisted suicide. Russell argues that capitalism in particular not only oppresses and excludes disabled people, its exploitation of workers also actively disables people through dangerous, repetitive, and numbing work. Moreover, the imperative of imperialist war in capitalist society sends working class people to the front lines, many of whom return injured, ill, and traumatized. 
Disabled veterans then face lives of exclusion, poverty, homelessness, addiction, and suffering. The non-conforming body is a challenge to the profit system. From the outset, capitalism defined workers as free insofar as they have the right to choose between work and death. Economic discrimination just thus became necessary regarding bodies that are not capable of producing surplus value at the prevailing rate. The definition of the disabled as defective on a medical model reinforces oppression and pathologizes us. Even as the meager welfare system has provided some social services, it also regulates and surveils the lives of recipients. The category of disability is a means of controlling the labor supply, pushing less productive, exploitable workers out of the mainstream workforce and sustaining a hyper-exploitable labor reserve. Disabled workers face inherent economic discrimination as employers are unwilling to bear what they regard as excessive additional employee costs. And the state is reluctant to acknowledge the rights and needs of the disabled because in neoliberal capitalism, elites are unwilling to extend state resources for care and accommodation. What welfare exists in the form of supplemental security disability income is completely inadequate, especially when um, sporadic and part-time employment disqualifies recipients. This is why disabled people are disproportionately poor, living in conditions without adequate health care, housing, or assistance. At the same time, ironically, disability has become big, big business as corporations offer solutions, quote-unquote, like privatized institutionalization and costly private care. Retailers pay lip service to inclusion in advertising images of happy disabled bodies. Disabled bodies thus become commodities. Today, the problems facing disabled people include ongoing poverty, unemployment, lack of access to care, and violence. In particular, abolitionists and disability justice advocate, advocates have called attention to the fact uh, not only that uh, the disabled are disproportionately incarcerated, but half of people killed by police are disabled. We cannot look to reforms, however crucial they may be, the legal system, the legislative process, or the Democratic Party to solve these problems. The two major acts defining disability rights in the United States were passed during the administrations of Richard Nixon and George H.W. Bush, not Jimmy Carter, who was reluctant to enforce the most significant Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, or Bill Clinton, who ended the welfare system and replaced it with one in which people must be able to labor in the paid workforce to qualify for even temporary aid. As Martha Russell wrote, disability politics must challenge the system if they are not to be flawed strategies or forms of bourgeois ideology. The socialist, uh, sorry, the socially constructed category of disability is a product of capitalist society and one of the most brutal expressions of a system that produces disability, then ask people to pay to address it while at the same time excluding, segregating, abusing, and discarding people whom the system regards as unproductive. There is very much more that I could say about the history and theory of disability justice, including an account of mental illness and neurodivergence. Perhaps we can take up some of what I am missing in the discussion. In conclusion, disability justice is closely tied to the labor struggle and struggles against incarceration and policing. Issues of disability are tied to the fight for universal health care. In addition, the disability rights struggle often offers lessons in theory, organization, and militant protest. 
Because socialists are committed to building both the labor and abolitionist movements, and because we are anti-capitalist revolutionary militants, disability justice should be an automatic priority for us today. It should be upfront alongside gender liberation, labor emancipation, and anti-racism um, in our publications and organizational statements. Every union we work with should take up the struggle for disability justice. We should seek out and support disabled activists in our local work, and we must make every single meeting, event, and protest, virtual or embodied, completely accessible to everyone's bodies and minds. I don't know if you've experienced this at a protest. Okay. <laughs> the struggle of disabled people, our struggle, calls upon us to rethink the very idea of disability, a construct produced in, by, and for capitalist society, which employers and politicians, in which employers and politicians attempt to negate our sense of power and agency. It should be said that they have failed. The crawl-up protests for the ADA in 1990 demonstrated the capacity of militant activists to dramatize and challenge the oppression and exploitation at the heart of the capitalist system, and we must carry on in this struggle. Thank you. long-term, 
Our embodied experiences guide us toward ongoing justice and liberation. We must honor the insights and participation of all of our community members, knowing that isolation undermines collective liberation. We must build each other's needs as we build towards liberation, knowing that state solutions inevitably extend into further control over our lives. As queer, brown, black body, disabled people, we bring flexibility and creative nuance that go beyond able-bodied, minded normativity to be in community with each other. No body or mind can be left behind. Only moving together can we accomplish the revolution that we require. However, this disability justice movement did not begin in 2005, but with Harriet Tubman in 1820. It includes Frida Kahlo, Audre Lorde, Sherry Moraga, and Gloria Anzaldúa. It began with my ancestors. And yet, let us remember that the Americans with Disability Act did not come into effect until 1990. 1990. The disability justice movement must be viewed in a Marxist lens. Rosenthal argues that disability is not static, but fundamentally linked to the needs of capitalist, capitalist accumulation. So I agree with Rosenthal when he states, quote, that disability is a socially created category derived from labor relations, a product of the exploitative economic structure of a capitalist society on which creates and then oppresses the so-called disabled body as one of the conditions that allow the capitalist class to accumulate wealth. Therefore, capitalism and disability are structurally, necessarily, and ontologically linked in a dialectical process of mutual reinforcement. How do we push back against this capitalist framework? How do we ensure that no body or mind is left behind? I am informed by the work of Leia Lakshmi Pepsnia Sama Serena in their book, Care Work, Dreaming Disability Justice, which I highly recommend. I am also informed by the work of Shaddai Kafai in their book, Crip Kinship, The Disability Justice and Art Activism of Sins Invalid. While socialist projects tend to focus on the actions of the state in relation to publics, Pipsnia Sama Serena's work reminds us of the importance of mutual aid. Mutual aid must not be poo-pooed by the leaders within our socialist agenda. Mutual aid is a political project. Pepsnia Sama Serena states, what does it mean to shift our ideas of access and care, whether it's a disability, childcare, economic access, or many more, from an individual chore, an unfortunate cost of having an unfortunate body, to a collective responsibility that's maybe even joyful. If collective access is revolutionary love without charity, how do we learn to love each other? It may mean a rejection of the state or choosing our families outside of our biological given families. Petsna Sama Serena talks about these grassroots groups in struggles as care webs. Revolutionary care may mean cooking meals for others, listening without judgment, sharing medications, supporting each other during psychotic breaks, or even lifting each other onto a toilet or a scooter. Crip on Crip care is revolutionary. Questions to ask as you start a care web or collective. What are the goals of your care web? Who needs care? What kind? Who is in it? 
What are their roles? Caregiver, care receiver, both, admin, fundraiser? How are you resisting the charity model in your work? What are the best practices that allow the people receiving care to receive care well? And what are the best practices that all the people offering care to offer care well? I hurt every day. Most days the pain is unbearable. I have severe fibromyalgia. I must now use a cane or a scooter. However, until using my cane, I had an invisible disability. Invisible disabilities are one of the largest issues plaguing the disability justice movement today, especially when we must include neurodivergent disabilities. Assuming people are lazy or lying is straight up ableism. Movements are demanding ableist spaces. How are our own organizations ableist? There may be token efforts, yet there are often not systemic in nature. As a foundational principle, collective access advocates advocates that spaces and events can push, push past ableism and instead creatively establish access for all of our bodies and minds. All conferences in this day and age should have a virtual option to view and to present. Consider seating for audience members who might need extra space for their bodies. Conferences should provide language options as well as audio descriptions. Remind participants that they are entering scent-free venues. The international and expansive examples are what crypt, queered, anti-capitalist access can look like. And what about protests? I must use a wheelchair now in protest as I cannot keep up with the protesters' pace. Protest leaders should call perhaps the disabled people to lead the march at their pace. We must interrogate other forms of activism as ableist. I cannot sit or stand on a picket line for 12 hours a day. There should be rotating bodies to help fill this void. This would at least ensure that disabled people can keep up and participate fully. We must also avoid classist stereotypes about our lives. No, my life does not need yoga or losing weight or being more mindful. Oh, I need a spa day. Sure, I can afford that. Stop, just stop. Care should not be individualized into a bourgeois model of self-care. What we need is what Bell Hooks calls a community of resistance, or what Shadaya Kafi calls crypt-centered liberated zones. The personal is always the political, we know that. They state a crypt-centered liberation zone is a multi-directional community love practice. It is a place of our own creation where we, the disabled, queer of color, many, can exist and thrive, liberated from the oppressions that regulate our daily lives. And in that spirit, I will end here. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.